America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we stand here to get up. Clicking sounds, sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rain. The instrument, a Geiger counter, is converting radioactivity into sounds we can hear. Good evening and welcome to Tank Riot, brought to you from tropical Madison, Wisconsin. With me as always, Victor. Well, hello. And Tor. Hello. This evening's topic is recumbent bicycles, legend or reality? (laughs) Tor is going to bring us some information on that. Tor, go. Tonight on Mythbusters. (laughs) Well, first, let's attempt some kind of definition of a recumbent bicycle. That would be a good start. As you know, uh, most bicycles you see have uh, a small seat that you sit on and your legs kind of dangle down uh, to the pedals and then you uh, lean over forward and grab the handlebars. Uh, Now, recumbent bicycles are different. They have uh, a large cushy seat. And then your legs go forward as if you were in a recliner and hook up to uh, pedals that are in front of you. And then the you know chain goes, well, the chain could go anywhere, front, back, wheel, whatever. But uh, they're usually lower and more aerodynamic and uh, a lot more comfortable. You can recum. That's true. Yeah, they're especially good for recumbing. What means uh, a lot, lot of the, 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 the enthusiasts likes to, like, like to call them bents. Bents. Like get bent. I'm gonna ride my bent. Okay. Yeah. Like your Bentley. Well, please share more nomenclature with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's look at the the history of recumbent bicycles, and that that will give us a good uh, basis for where we are today with them. Now, most bicycle innovations came around in the 19th century, and recumbent bicycles are no different. Oh, really? So, yeah. It probably I don't know. They've They've found drawings and stuff from the mid, you know, around 1850s, somewhat in there. Wow. Uh, and uh, one example of a 19th century uh, recumbent is the Challand. But uh, most of the innovation has occurred in the 20th and 21st centuries. So, uh, and and so they started picking up as, as the 20th century progressed. And I'd like to jump to the 1930s and talk about uh, Charles Moshe. And he built uh, small cars and and small pedal cars. Ooh. Now, a pedal car is technically a recumbent... It's a recumbent... Quadsicle. <laughs> with an airfoil. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. with like a you know, big chassis Too fast. Yeah, Too because, furious. Because as... as one of those when I was three. Yeah. As, as <laughs> my, in my, my recumbent uh, fire engine. Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in my definition, uh, you know, you sit on a seat and you put your legs forward. That's true. So, yes, the little pedal car you did have it as a child, Victor, was a recumbent quadcycle. Uh, and... Uh, but cool. but the ones that... I tra- was leet. 
<laughs> right. Now, the ones that Charles Moshe made were made for actual transportation. They were made in uh, France after World War One, and a lot of people couldn't uh, afford a, a standard automobile. And, uh, you know, also it's expensive to keep a horse and everything. So sure. uh, these pedal cars uh, that you could actually get around in was a viable form of transportation for many people. And, you know, of course, being a, a car, they could load it up with a lot of luggage. And I'm sure the cobblestone must have been killer, too. Wow. Riding yeah. a bike back then. No kidding. But I mean, that's, yeah. that's interesting. I didn't realize that they had gone back so far, really. Oh, yes, yes. But then he made um, a two-wheeled version, uh, and he called it the uh, Moshe Velocar. And uh, this has uh, actually quite similar to the recumbents of today. Uh, it, it had a, a seat in the back, and the, the backrest could fold down uh, so you could be lean back, and that would make it more aerodynamic. And it had a, a kind of a steering wheel on it, and when the pedals in the front, and they found this bike was uh, fairly high performance, could achieve some fairly good speeds. So uh, uh, Charles Moshe started showing it to some bike racers, and one in particular, uh, Francis Farr, Farr, any after Favre, Favre, that could be F A U R E. I don't know if any of the you French people out there know how to say his last name. Uh, send us an email. Uh, with an attached uh, MP3 with the correct <laughs> pronunciation, please. So, anyway, Francis Farr, uh, he was kind of a second-class uh, track racer, but he tried the Velocar and he liked it. So uh, he started uh, training on this and uh, racing with it. It turns out, even though he was a second-class racer, with this particular bike, he was faster than all the other racers. Because of mechanical advantage and aerodynamics uh, and so forth. Yeah, on. with the recumbent, you not only have better aerodynamics, but uh, you can press against, you know, your back can be, is pressed against the backrest while you press on the pedals. So you can actually apply more force to the pedals than you can on a regular bicycle, which the force is limited to your weight, I believe. Ah. Um, so, on July 15th, 1933, Francis beat the hour record, uh, completing uh, 45.1 kilometers or 27.9 miles in one hour. Wow. And uh, uh, using this bike. And that was the new record, at least for <laughs> a little while, because on February 3rd, 1934, the... Uh, Union Cycliste Internationale, or NAMBLA, some other French thing. We'll call, we will now call the UCI. And <laughs> a steal from the Daily Show there. Uh, uh, they voted uh, 58 to 46 to ban recumbent-style bicycles from all standard bike competition. But, but Tor, isn't that true that it seems like no matter what innovation they come out with bicycling, you know, the, these associations seem to ban it? I mean, it's, it's really like it's sort of locked in the 1890s in a certain right, way. Right, right. Um, the, the recumbent style is not the only style that's been banned. Uh, right. Like the, the Y frames and the... Sure. Uh, they banned steroid style, too. They, they, they have a minimum weight. <laughs> Big one. Some of these modern bikes are that they race in the like the Tour de France and that are so light that they have to 
you know, tape on some ballast so they meet the the minimum weight that the oh my UCI God. requires. What is this, like a paper clip or something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, she floats, she's a witch. It's like very old rules. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of disappointing because, I mean, the whole idea would be to build the fastest bicycle and then right. have everyone race on the fastest bicycles and sure. whoever wins, wins. Right. It's but instead they, can, they just keep it locked in 1890. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when you see the Tour de France, that's kind of, you know, if you're into, you know, Civil War reenactments and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. Oh, oh. and you know, that's here to take right, we are. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Sorry. I'm into Secret War reenactments. <laughs> you know, the only reenactment I've ever seen was actually a Revolutionary War reenactment, but it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I mean th- this. This bike that they, you know, use in the Tour de France where you kind of, you know, sit on, perched on top of the seat, which it, that, that whole concept is kind of based on the horse, uh, right. uh, you know, because they looked at the horse. Okay, you sit on the horse's back and your legs dangle down and then you hold the, the reins, kind of you lean over forward and hold the reins. And so they started building bikes like that. So they're kind of trying to make you how you ride a horse. And... uh and so you kind of sit perched on there and lean over, lean over and hold the handlebars. Uh, whereas the recumbent bikes are based on, well, how do most people like to sit around and, you know, they sit in chairs and, you know, with legs forward and right. that kind of thing. Plus, well, the whole uh, uh, muscle dynamics and everything are much more efficient with the recumbents, which is why uh, the recumbents were faster in the 1930s and still remain faster to this day. So anyway, that's kind of now. There was special class races that could allow recumbents, but since they weren't, you know, the real race, right. you know, they never really got the press or the um, money prizes that the main UCI races got. So re- recumbents kind of didn't really take off in the 1930s. They were kind of always there. There's always some guy tinkering with them somewhere. And if you look hard enough, you can probably find quite a th- few examples through the 20th century. Um, so anyway, we get to World War II and past World War II. In uh, East Germany, um, there was a, a, a designer called Paul Rinkowski. And he, uh, it's much easier to pronounce Polish names than Rinkowski. Well, I suppose that must be a German name. Anyway. Around here, if you got a ski on the end of your name, you're Polish. But <clears throat> I'm digressing too much, aren't I? Um, anyway, he, yeah, there. he was a, a East German designer, and he made quite a few uh, innovations in cycling. In fact, uh, the sew-up tires that uh, people call Rinkas, or Rinko, Rinkas, I think, are, uh, are, are his design. And... Uh, which that I don't think people use sew-ups much anymore, but that was a big thing in the what, 1970s. What was it? Well, well, it's versus mo- we use, mainly use clincher tires now that that clinch onto the end of the oh yeah, yeah of, okay. of the rim. Right. The sew-ups you actually had to like sew up the tire, which is and glue it on the rim. <laughs> so. So it would be like the equivalent of one of those old hard automobile tires of like the turn of the century. I don't know. I, they always confuse me, so I never. Went anywhere close to sew up tire or, or rim. It's just like, no, wow. I understand clinchers. And it turns out now everybody uses clinchers, so I didn't miss anything. 
Uh, but the soap, uh, the the Rinka soaps were uh, this this guy's invention. But he did a lot of recumbent stuff, and he, he tried to, you know, East Germany was a planned economy. So if you wanted something manufactured, you had to, you know, submit your idea to the authorities, and if they thought it met the plan, they'd do it. Well, they didn't. So they uh, <laughs> East Germans didn't build recumbent bikes. So that was kind of uh, another blow to the recumbents that, you know, we could have had the whole East block uh, on recumbents. <laughs> then we really would hate them. Then the commies would have taken over. So totally maybe it's better they didn't. They're, so. they're moving too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then we'll move on into the 1960s. Uh, Robert Q. Riley, he was a, a Schwinn. Uh, he had a Schwinn dealership and uh he had this idea for another kind of bike, which he called the Groundhugger, which is a recumbent, a uh, very low-riding recumbent. Kind of had some of the stylings of the you know 1960s muscle bikes like the Stingray and that, but it was uh, more spread out low. And uh, he tried to contact some manufacturers to build his design. None of them were interested. So he ended up selling the design as uh, just a set of plans through uh, a popular mechanics magazine they had the best plans in the back of that they did yeah <laughs> i yeah. loved them and uh he has went on he has made all kinds of plans uh uh that he sold through magazine and now his website just for cars and submarines and i think jet engines and you know a lot of fuel fuel efficient <laughs> cool. stuff and really cool stuff uh and i they uh I think they used a bunch of his more funny-looking cars in uh, the Terminator movie, stuff like that. But uh, he has a fascinating website. Uh, recommend checking it out. But he did update the Groundhugger, and now he has a carbon fiber version of it uh, called the Groundhugger XR2. And uh, that those plans, both the old plans and the new plans, are still available on his website. So that, that was... Uh, uh, one thing with recumbent bicycles, there's always a lot of home builders and home tinkerers with recumbents. They, uh, you know, because you just can't buy new ones off the shelf. Uh, now you can, but still there's a lot of designs that you can't get unless you build it yourself. So we move on to the late 60s with David Gordon Wilson. And uh, in 1968, he started the Man-Powered Land Transportation Competition. And his goal was not speed, but safety, comfort, and usability. And uh, anyway, the W.B. Lynchard was the winner with his Bicar Mark III, uh, which was a recumbent bicycle. And uh, Wilson took that design and worked with uh, Fred Wilkie, a builder, and eventually they came up with the Wilson Wilkie. And uh, and that so that was an improved recumbent design, and uh, then with the help of builders uh, Richard Forrestal and Harold Mischewski, their uh, and their company Fomac, uh, the Wilson Wilkie led to the development of the Avatar One Thousand, and eventually the Avatar Two Thousand, which uh, essentially became the first uh really mass produced uh recumbent bike in the United States of note uh the avatar was cuz I was going to ask yeah, you know well i mean the, the, you know there there may have been some you know in the earlier part of the century and and the the, the Moshe Velocar was uh, uh that was in France i believe 
So uh, you have kind of different parts of the globe, different things going on. But the really one that, that took off in the United States was the Avatar 2000. What right. I got to say is in the email you sent us, you mentioned that was the one that uh, Christopher Walken wrote in Brainstorm. And now I have to go back and watch Brainstorm oh, again. Oh, God, yeah. that's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Avatar in the 1983 wow. science fiction classic. Now that is trivia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yep, so, uh, yeah, Walken's riding that bike. And everybody's wondering what's happened to that particular bike and, you know, if it's still hanging in his garage or if it's somewhere. Mm. Who knows? But, uh so the Avatar, it, it made kind of a splash, and it ended up uh, getting copied by a lot of people. One of the uh, partners in the Fomac Corporation, Dick Ryan, after a, it, although it was hard to make money, so Fomac eventually had to stop production. And uh, so Dick Ryan, he started up a company and built the Ryan Vanguard based on the Avatar 2000. Uh, and... And he built that for a number of years. He's retired now. Uh, the closest bike to the Avatar 1000 right now in current production and availability is the Long Bikes Slipstream. But there have been a lot of uh, a lot of different bikes that have copied or, or based their designs on the Avatar. Uh, the the Linear, the Defilice, uh, to name it two. And uh, I happen to have a Linear. Which uh, uh, I think my shifter blew on it, so I'm like down to three speeds, but still, uh, <laughs> still going strong there. <laughs> and uh, so that, and and then, so let's also let's continue in the 1970s here. Now, now the this, the Avatar uh, that started production, I, I'm thinking around uh, 1979 uh, into the early 80s, and uh, but also in the 1970s. Uh, you know, there's much more interest in the uh, uh, making more efficient and faster bikes. So the International Human Powered Vehicle Association was started March 28, 1976. They have a website too. Yes, they're still around. Yeah, everybody has a website. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so they uh, uh, they were really focused on speed and. Uh, and so there's a n- numerous uh, speed records, and it, it's essentially been clear that it's the recumbent bikes that were going to get these speed records, usually full-fared recumbent bikes. Initially, it was uh, actually the trikes that were the fastest. And um, then the uh, bike design started uh, uh, getting uh, the... Uh, actually, in the case of the Bluebell... Which, if my information is correct, the Bluebell was a fully fared uh, Avatar 2000, which the Avatar 2000 was made for comfort. Yet, if you put a full fairing on it and change the gear ratios in that, uh, it apparently made a speed of 61.91 miles per hour. Wow. And uh, this is in a 200-meter sprint. And... uh, now, wasn't part of the rekindled interest based on the speed records? And There was some company that put up a... A bounty on a speed record, or did that happen later? That that's yeah okay, and that's actually the next thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. Dupont, Dupont, Dupont right. put up a prize. I forget the dollar amount for. I the think pr- it was eighteen thousand. Uh, it could be, but the <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, they put up the um the the prize that the prize, and they wanted for the first bike to exceed sixty five miles per hour, and. Um, that, that, 
that uh, prize was won by Fast Freddie Markham. Well, before that, he was just known as Fred Markham. But after he won the prize, he's known as Fast Freddie Markham. And uh, and I can't find my notes with the exact speed here. But, well, he went over 65 miles per hour. And let's see. Uh, yes, and I haven't written down the date, but that was, uh, I think, the early 1980s that he, he achieved that speed, and he did it with the Easy Racers Gold Rush. And uh, Easy Racers is still in business. Also, Easy Racers has been around since the 80s. It, yeah, yeah. And oh, they I, uh, I they build the, the Tour Easy, the Gold Rush, and Easy Racers has then uh, spun off some of their designs. They uh, license their designs to Sun Bicycles, who uh, uh, builds them in Asia and, and ships them over here. The Easy Racers still builds. There's Tour Easy and Gold Rush and Tie Rush and Full Rush, uh, all in in the United States. So this is the you know early na- 1980s where uh, Fast Freddy is getting these records. You know, so you know you assume he's in his prime at that point, and uh, you know, kind of a young man and doing quite well. Well, let's just jump the timeline all the way up to this year, and. Uh, Turns out, um, Fast Freddy is still racing, and on July 2nd, 2006, this is 20 years after winning the DuPont Prize, oh, so the DuPont Prize must have been uh, 1986, uh, Fast Freddy gets, achieves the, the new hour record by traveling a distance of 53.43 miles in one hour, and, uh, so that that is the uh wow uh, so, so and he's 50 years old now so and oh, he, he found he, a nice hill and worked his way down no this is no <laughs> hill this is on a special oval track i think in oh, arizona really? okay and it's very regulated okay but oh, uh he just timed it out still though he's yeah 50, yeah wow. miles. Holy so uh you know if 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 you haven't reached 50 yet then apparently you haven't peaked yet so you know just keep working out <laughs> and uh it's all possible it's, you know he's right now the world's fastest man as far as the hour record goes and i mean that time that that distance just blows away any hour record achieved by uh, UCI-sanctioned bikes, which are, uh, you know, they just simply don't have the aerodynamics to go anywhere near right. that, that would, f- far enough. would look hour. like a classic road bike. Right, know, yeah, I mean, like Lance Armstrong's bike. Right. Lance Armstrong, there's no way he could, on his track, go anywhere close as far as uh, Fast Freddy went what, in what, his uh, what we, we easy used to racer. call 10 speeds, even though they've right. long since gone way yeah, past 10 they're speeds. they're like 30 or 20 speeds now. Yeah. A lot of them, so. Well, I went and, uh, you know, I don't own a recumbent myself, but when we started talking about recumbents, I decided to go try out a couple, and the one I remember trying, both of them were long wheelbase recumbents, and that's the thing that, yeah. um, you know, everything is still manufactured in smaller, like there really isn't a a Schwinn recumbent that's cheaper. You know, there's no, they're all in small batches and there's, yeah. there's no inexpensive. But the recumbent. closest you get is the, the sun bicycles right. with the easy racers designs. Right. And I tried an easy, uh-huh. uh, tour easy. And the thing to realize if you're interested in these, I mean, they let you try them out and you can go try one out for fun, even if you don't have the cash to just buy one. But, uh, I, I think, and I prefer the, uh, 
I think they call it the USS or whatever, the under under seat, seat steering, steering. Yeah. where your arms are lower and you your feet are out in front of you. But then there's the, the I don't know, ASS or OSS, however they say it, the over-the-seat steering. And the Tourizi is the over-the-seat steering, and it's a long wheelbase. So it's a very long bike. I felt a little bit wobbly on it, so I like the under-steering a little bit better. And then I, I realized looking around the... We have there's a couple places in town that sell these, and Budget Bicycle has a great uh, showroom where you can look at all kinds of crazy oh, things. Yeah. And the right. trikes in there, I mean, yeah. these are massive green machines. These things are <laughs> beautiful, um, and they oh, look yeah. like a lot of fun. So I intend to go back and try out some trikes, yeah, and they I, are yeah. more expensive. I have not tried out a trike, but I boy, I they look tried fun. out um, <laughs> the Sun Tour Easy as well, and I I found it to be. Uh, pretty decent. Now, my experience was when I tried the under the seat steering, mm-hmm. it just felt too weird for me, and okay. I, I just, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't like it. I think just because of the preference. Yeah, and see, as a kid, but, I loved the green machine kind of shifting where you have the, the oh yeah, the shifters where you turn the the rear wheels, and <laughs> they had one in there called the sidewinder that apparently can just turn on a dime, and it's a trike, you know. Oh, yeah. so you have yeah. to be apparently very careful about turning. And not overturning when you're going at speed because you can easily topple yourself. Yeah, I did <laughs> test drive a trike once, uh, instantly called a green speed. Nice. Oh. And it's it's like it's like driving a a, a go kart or something, except you're pedaling, but it's just as fun. Mm-hmm. Now these, and, uh, for our listeners' uh, edification, are these trikes are really low. Yeah. Yeah, you're sitting just like maybe three inches off the ground. Yeah. Right. Depending on how low your butts sag in there. But uh, well, now you've yeah. you've had recumbents now for years, Tor. Have you right. ever found any visibility problems? Do you run one of those flags off the back? You know that you know, the I, long flag. I, I don't and... use a flag. I uh, that's when I like this uh, green speed trike that I tested. The fact of the matter is, given the city streets that I go through, I just didn't see that as practical because it sits very low. It would be great on the bike trails. Right. We don't have to worry about traffic, but when I'm riding along parked cars, and you know my head would be like at muffler height. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. that's just too low. You can put a flag on it, but um, so I I prefer one that sits a little higher, and uh, they do have uh, quite a few like that. In fact, uh, one particular design it that sits uh, fairly high is called a high racer now. And that uses rather uh, large wheels, such as uh, 650 uh, size. And a uh, uh, company actually in Wisconsin that makes those is called Volet. And that's uh, it, a short wheelbase. Why don't we jump ahead and we'll talk about the types. Uh, the long wheelbase, uh, like Victor Road, it has the, the wheel in front, then you have your pedals, then your seat, and then the rear wheel. So you get... I mean, it's really long because, you know, between your seat and pedals, that has to be stretched out to the distance to match your height or right for your height. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're uh, very comfortable and and very smooth ride because, you know, they have a long wheelbase thing. Um, And then you have your short wheelbase. There you have your pedals out first and then the uh, front wheel and then uh, the seat and then the rear wheel. So... You actually sit between the the front and rear tire, but then your legs like stick way forward onto the pedals. And those almost invariably are under seat steering, are they not? Um, no, actually, oh, you, actually, wow. the, the, they can be either. 
This is the thing with recumbent bicycles. The steering can be under seat steering. The steering can be above seat steering. Or um, the, the wheelbase can be long or short. That You can have trikes or quad cycles. You can have... Uh, most of them, of course, are rear-wheel drive, but they have made a few with front-wheel drive. And you can, like, mix this up in any combination. And, and uh, people have built you know, virtually every combination, and, and they, it seems to work one way or another wow. if, if you do it right. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting about yeah. them, um, but it also is what raises the price of recumbents because everything's made in a small batch because you don't have that factory right. building millions for everyone to ride. So yeah, that's, that's why because, these are expensive. Yeah, they're not selling in high volume really yet so yeah they're not not mass produced uh one thing uh, uh dick ryan who built the ryan vanguard he was uh considering making a deal with taiwan to build his uh bike and they were going to spot him a whole container of frames or something like that and um but something with the financing or something didn't quite you know it fell through so he never did it but he you know he would have been able to lower the cost there but still essentially yeah it's a more custom thing you do have the seat is more expensive because there's more to it and the chain is longer and the frames um it depends some of the frames i think are probably simpler to build than a diamond uh, frame and others are uh, more complicated difficult to build but yeah the main thing is that the mass production isn't there i mean not not to the scale of the other types of bikes so uh the price is higher and I think that's something that it's kind of, I'm not sure what has to come first. Either the, the demand or the price needs to be lower. Well, what's the cheapest one you you guys have seen out on the market? Uh, the Typically the cheapest one is the Sun Easy One, uh, SC. Uh, yeah. and, and that's, uh, and I, I'm not sure what the price is now. A few, a few years ago it was $500. Okay. And there are used bikes too. And so if you go to some shops yeah. there, because people, they decided just, because comfort and fit is really important. And you no recumbent ever gets thrown away really. They, yeah, they it'll just get recycled. Get, so they just there get are some, resold. And some of the cool, like the Sidewinder I saw at uh, Budget was a uh, a used one. And it was it was kind of sweet looking. And that, I think, for a trike... I think they wanted like eight hundred or something for that, and trikes usually go for lots more than that. New, right, right. I mean, most we're talking two to three thousand right. dollar range. Yes. And I want to go try out a three thousand dollar trike and see what the heck that actually sure. is. Not that I could afford to mm-hmm. buy one, but it'd Still be interesting to be ride. Yeah, yeah, to try one out and see what what the options are. And generally, what you're paying for is weight as well. So the cheaper ones are heavier, and and oh, as yeah. they get better components and better compounds, they're they're lighter yeah. and they're cheaper. Your aluminum, more titanium, carbon fiber—that yeah. all costs Absolutely. more. Sure. And uh, depends on what's important to you, really. Oh, yeah. And how rich you are. <laughs> yeah. How much you can spend. Yeah. I've it, seen uh, recumbent tandems and so forth too, and those got to be yeah. You, a lot of them five grand for some of the better ones. Oh yeah. Uh, Sun actually makes a a less expensive tandem, but I'm sure that's well over a grand or maybe more. I, I, I don't know offhand. But uh, to go on to uh, recumbent styles, uh, the Sun Easy one that we mentioned—that's a compact long wheelbase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the first the wheel, then the uh, cranks, and then the seat and the rear tire. Uh, the seat's almost on top of the rear tire, mm-hmm. so it, it's a little compact versus the long wheelbase. Um, and 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 trikes and you know, you know whatnot. So uh, lots of different styles. Uh, 
what what you want to look at when you're shopping for one is uh, primarily uh, fit. You want something that that fits you both personality wise and more importantly in terms of actually fitting your body and 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 working uh, w- well with you cycling. So the best way to do that is to uh, simply do what uh, Victor and Sputnik have been doing, and that's just do a lot of test riding and try a, little, a lot of different kinds. Since there are all so many different kinds, you'll definitely find that you're, you lean towards one design over the other. Uh, unfortunately, you, you know, the hostel shop, which is actually where they uh, assemble the, the volet recumbent, and uh, it's, it's all essentially one operation, uh, that's probably the best uh, store I've ever been to, and that's uh, up in uh, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Uh, not everybody has a store like that near them, so uh, some of you may have to resort to mail order, which means you're reading reviews and whatnot. Uh, so I guess you just gotta take your chances. Uh, <laughs> but but luckily there is a used market, so you know you can resell your mistakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so yeah. Uh, Going back to the the history a bit, uh, a, a number of companies saw their start in uh, in the 1980s. Uh, one of those being uh, Rands. Rands actually started out uh, s- selling a, a sail trike. It was some contraption with a sail and a couple of seats and some wheels, and you'd scoot around like on ice lakes. Yeah, oh, ice lakes, something like sure. that a bit. Yeah, and uh, but they eventually came out with. Uh, in in the early '80s, uh, uh, with the Stratus, which is a long wheelbase uh, recumbent with above seat steering, uh, kind of similar to the the Easy Racers Tour Easy. Uh, what's interesting about Rands is is now they make uh, recumbent bikes and airplanes. So, okay, <laughs> interesting combination. Uh, Linear also came out in the 1980s, uh, and they. Uh, have actually a long wheelbase folding recumbent, and now there's also the welded version, and uh, that's what I have. I bought a used one, so it was like four hundred bucks. Um, you, you know, used you get used, and I, I think my seats bent a bit, and uh, the drivetrain's a bit worn out. But uh, between the previous owners and me, we've put at least six thousand miles on this bike, wow. and uh, it's probably it's probably a lot more. And uh, so if I fix up that drivetrain, uh, you know, it'll just keep going. The, the frame, uh, I think, is fine. It's just I might have to replace the seat. Um, so, but, but in the 1990s, things really started to pick up. You got a lot of different brands coming in and out. Uh, some stayed in business and some did not. Uh, and, and now in the 21st century... We are seeing, I think, things starting to pick up with the recumbent bike, uh, especially with the transportation. Uh, it's becoming expensive, you know, gasoline-wise and that. And a lot of people are finding, that, especially with these last uh, price hikes, finding that biking to work is a better option for them, which we recommend. Absolutely. <clears throat> and uh, so the... Uh, and I think the cities are starting to realize too that you can't just build around the car; you have to build around uh, bicycles and pedestrians too. And uh, and the recumbents can become a big part of this. They uh, and there is some f- other designs. Something I really want 
is a, a Velomobile. No, those With, websites are awesome. Yeah, yes. these are. We're getting right back to a. Uh, Charles Moshe and his uh, pedal cars here, <laughs> but these are like you know on on steroids. Uh, unfortunately, they're extremely expensive. I think I've, most prices are like five thousand bucks or yeah. more. Full fairing cigar cigar shaped little tubes with yeah, they look yeah. like bicycle Ferraris. Yes, they um, do. Yeah. It's just amazing. And I looked at several and I couldn't find any even euro dollar price tags on them. No, right. No. So they're yeah. all built and, to And I think fit. most of them now are built in Europe. Europe is probably a bit ahead of, ahead of us right now in recumbents. Can seems. you imagine how many car crashes would be caused if someone drove one of those in a bike path? Everyone would be like gawking at the <laughs> oh, yeah. Velomobile. My what the word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people get used to it though. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen any. But, but you see, the, my problem with, with my uh, two-wheeled bicycle is... Uh, it doesn't do so hot on ice, and uh, here in Wisconsin, that's a major part of the year, mm-hmm. and, uh, and right. so I, I I can't bike to work every single day. But if I had a, a three wheel, well, don't worry, the weather's changing. That's that's true. That's right. I mean, think about last winter; it wasn't that bad. Yeah, just listen to Al Gore. Yeah, I'm, I'll need air conditioning in December. And, a convenient in, in for year. biking truth. Yeah. Uh, but but if I had a little three wheeled uh, velomobile that was like fully enclosed from the weather, I could I could bike in when, you know when there's freezing rain, and that would be cool. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and you could have a little one of those little things on the tire that would charge a battery that could power your iPod with the speakers in your. <laughs> hey, it's all out there. I yeah, mean, you could yeah. have a smart bike just like they have the smart car. You know, that's right. And, and uh, now the other thing, when you you know you might go to your local bike shop and uh, ask them about recumbents, odds are they probably won't have any because most shops don't carry recumbents, and they'll probably give you a little attitude like, well, you know, oh, they not blah blah, you know, they'll give you some excuse why they right. don't have them or or something like that. Uh, don't 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 let them get away with it. Uh, I I think it's. Part of the part of the reason it's not just that the UCI has banned their use; it's just the bike shops have gotten used to selling their uh, their upright bikes, and and they know those. And when they see recumbents, which some are long and some are short, and some of the steering up there and some of the steering down there, that just confuses them to all high heaven. Well, yeah, they're not sure what to and, stock because they're not sure what people are they don't need or want. They don't have so a, it's difficult. They don't have a clue what to do. And they don't take the time to educate themselves on what what all the different variants offer, mm-hmm. so right. they do nothing, and uh, and essentially it's the consumer that loses in the end, because the consumer then doesn't have the choices. Uh, now it's true. You know, maybe after riding all these recumbents, you'll still like the upright bike best. Some people do, but you should have the choice to choose between, you know, all the different styles, and. Uh, you know that's what the market's for and and the market shouldn't be skewed just for one type of technology especially if it's been proven inferior in that's time right. t- trials and distance trips and True. uh yeah. you know all that kind of thing yeah and i'll say our one of my favorite bike shops in town the yellow jersey doesn't carry recumbents no, at all they and, don't. you know maybe that's a space issue i don't know what uh, his I think reasoning it's more is of a but, space issue than yeah. anything but, but it, it's i i have Talk to uh, the proprietor ab- about it, and you know, one, yeah, they don't have the space to store them, and, and and two, he doesn't feel that he's an expert on recumbents, and therefore right. doesn't feel like he can sell them like he can uh, 
you know, English three, three speeds and, um, uh, but, uh, but, but of course, you know, he knows how to read and, and, yeah. <laughs> and everything. So he could educate himself. Uh, the space issue might be harder for him to overcome, but a, a lot of bike shops have that, uh, problem. One thing I'd like to see more is more, uh, recumbent bike rentals. You know, That's imagine true. if you go on vacation, uh, there's a lot of rental, uh, bikes at uh, tourist places you know they really should have recumbents you can rent because then that gives you a whole nother reason to rent um, maybe you can't afford to buy it but you can pay 10 bucks and rent it for a day i have seen a number of recumbent styles that are for rent in the uh peninsula state park oh, cool. in Door uh, county cool yeah including um a very bizarre configuration where it's um two side by side and then they have like a ba- a common basket in between them. It's like a catamaran. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, Recumbents. Yeah, that's to catch the bikers going the other way in the net in the middle. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen those too. Uh, n- not as no. Actually, they might have had some rentals in Madison like that once. But uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, you know that's a good date bike. You know, you have sure. side by side, and you know whatever. And, have maybe put a violin player in the basket or something. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that that's my my gripe about recumbents. Uh, Not much of a gripe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I I really really like them, and I want to buy more. And um, they cost a lot of money, though. So I I am working on a. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's not just now. There's much more than the Groundhugger as far as kits and plans go. I actually bought a, a frame set off the internet uh, for a Bentec, which is another uh, company you can buy their design. They have a couple designs and uh, build that. And there's a whole internet community uh, building these Bentecs. And I'm I'm slowly tuning mine in to uh, make it work the way I want it to work. So I am learning. Okay. A lot about design and how to get the darn handlebars exactly where you want it, so that it's all comfortable. Uh, but there's the there's the Bentec, and there's also a, a Tour Easy uh, clone plans on the internet, uh, so you can uh, make a clone of uh, the Easy Racers Tour Easy uh, by chopping up old ten speeds. Well, I think one of and, these uh, winners we have to get uh, the welding class. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. And then we can make the t- some really scary The tank bikes. team needs to learn to weld, I think. Yes, yeah. We I think Bike Night has achieved its pinnacle yeah. without welding capabilities. Yeah, but now it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This whole show is based on an article I'm uh, writing for radbike.net. Uh, and I hope to have that article finished soon. So about the time the show will go on the internet, hopefully that article for Radbike will go on as well. Sounds good. We will have links and more information in our show notes. That's right. If you are a recumbent fanatic and want to tell us your opinions or views or other uh, things, send yeah. us an email at feedback at tankriot.com. Yeah, if, if, if you're a, a fanatic uh, spandex wedgie rider and, and, and you feel really offended by the fact that we, li- we like recumbents, uh, send us your abuse and <laughs> yes. we will return the favor. Please. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Victor, you have some other things from the mailbag? Yes, we do have the mailbag open again. And on the same subject, we have received an email about our feedback system from the Amazing Russell. And Russell, the Amazing Russell has a couple good ideas for us and uh, chides us for having a email feedback system for an audio program. 
You know, he says, we're not a blog. We should be, we should be doing audio feedback. And so he suggested uh, we look into a, a system called Tossable Digits, which will send you an MP3 or, I'm sorry, a wave format of voicemail to your email. Then you can just play the feedback as audio in the program. And, you know, we'll look into that. And it looks like a yeah. great system, but it's, it is a pay for system. So in the meantime, since this is a wholly unfunded program. That's right. We yeah. are going to uh, suggest anyone who's interested in sending us audio feedback, we can take any kind of AIFF, preferably MP3s, high quality MP3s. Sure. Send us an MP3 and if you try to keep it to a minute or so, we don't want them to go much longer, but we can play audio feedback in the show. It's not a problem. Um, yeah, just attach it to feedback at tankrat.com. Yep, That's send right. it as an MP3 attachment. And for those of you in the PC world, Audacity is a great and easy program for doing that kind of compression. You can get that on Linux, too. Yeah, you can get that on Linux. And, and I, Mac. Yeah, and on a Mac, I would say every Mac basically comes with GarageBand, so you can just use GarageBand mm-hmm. and uh, rip an MP3 and, and send it to us. It's really no problem. So, yeah, we'd love to get some audio feedback and hear some of these characters' voices. And that came from... The even more amazing Russell, evil dictator of BananaForce.com. <laughs> so uh, we got a couple emails about our uh, anime program. Uh, I sent a shout out to uh, another podcast I really love um, called Cinecast, who did a, uh, they're going to be doing a marathon on anime, and I suggested they listen to our Studio Ghibli episode, and I've gotten a couple of emails from people who have uh, since found us out because of that, and uh, if you are an anime fan and you have some anime programs that you think would be great to talk about or great to look into, please let me know. And if you ninja scroll watchers out there, <laughs> I'd like to hear about other programs out there that you think are really high quality. And they can be adult or uh, kid-friendly. Um, I don't care. We'll we'll check them out and maybe we can do another anime program in the future oh, based certainly. on you know your input and feedback. So thanks for sending the emails and we'll look into those. Um, another thing, we got another email from uh, Jordan Smith as well that caused us to do some thinking. We uh, Jordan would like to send us something, and that would be great. Uh, we don't currently have a P.O. box, and we're working on it. So we'll look into that a little further. And in the meantime, um, if anyone wants to send us anything uh, non-gross, uh, then you, know, <laughs> you can email us, and we'll, we'll uh, either get you a, a private address or a P.O. box and um, you know, we'll be accepting donations and whatnot. Yeah, uh, there's there's the some PO alleys box. in Madison that we could maybe meet up and <laughs> trade some stuff. But, That's right. Yeah. Cans of spam, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> anything, yes. anything you have lying around. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. So, so, yeah, those are the mailbag items I'd like to talk about. And anything else, you can send us to feedback at tankriot.com. Check out the show notes and links at tankriot.com. This is episode 21. All right. Good night.